Good morning, everyone. If you know a little bit about me, you know that I sort of like lawn work. What I really like, though, are green, lush lawns. I really like St. Augustine grass, even though it sucks down a lot of water. I love the shade of green that it is. I, I love the way that it feels under my feet. What I don't like is a weed. Obnoxious chickweed, evil dandelion, sinister dollarweed, crabgrass from hell. Their appearance on my lawn will not do. Their appearance on my lawn is unacceptable. But here's the thing. When it comes to eradicating weeds, you have to go all the way down to the root. To eradicate a weed, you have to go all the way down to the root. Now that might take a lot of time, it may take a lot of work and effort, sometimes it can be frustrating, but if you don't, if you only deal with the weed on the surface, then it might disappear for a little while, you'll forget about it, and then surprise, there it is again. And you have to be vigilant when it comes to eradicating weeds or it will begin to spread. Now I've been thinking lately, like a lot of you, about how racism is a lot like dealing with obnoxious weeds in our lawns. It disappears from sight for a short period of time. We've only pulled the top off. We've only dealt with it on the surface. The root is very much alive underground. And then surprise, here we are again. I found a recent article by a woman that I respect very much for her deep faith and intelligence helpful. I want to read an excerpt from it now. She writes, words cannot dull the pain of George Floyd's family. Like many black families before them, they find themselves in the spotlight for reasons that every parent, sibling, and spouse dreads. While his death has catalyzed a symbolic call to action, he was not a symbol to his loved ones. He was a father, brother, and son. In the wake of Floyd's death, Americans and people around the world are experiencing shock, grief, and outrage, a set of emotions that too often are repeated. If the past is a guide, these feelings will fade and we will return to our lives. But perhaps all of us, regardless of skin color, are, to quote Mississippi sharecropper and civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer, that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Our country has often moved forward and been made better through peaceful protests. But our cities must stop burning. Innocent people, including my minority and immigrant business owners, are watching their livelihoods go up in smoke. There is no excuse for looting and criminality, and offenders must be stopped. But a call for calm is not enough. This time, we must remain vigilant and maintain our determination to make a difference. Those words were written by Condoleezza Rice in Washington Post on June 4th of this year. I agree. When it comes to racism, the Church of Jesus Christ must remain vigilant and maintain determination to make a difference. And I think that the beginning place for us to make a difference is by considering the real question. The real question is this. What is at the root of racism that makes it an evil? What is at the root of racism that makes it an evil? You know, contrary to conventional thinking, a belief in racial inferiority is not what triggered unequal treatment. On the contrary, the concept of racial inequality, of racism, was created to justify unequal treatment. Racism was created to explain, to justify, to undergird the exploitation of people. A man by the name of Ibram Kendi in his book Stamped from the Beginning writes, and I quote, 
The beneficiaries of slavery, segregation, and mass incarceration have produced racist ideas of black people being best suited for or deserving of the confines of slavery, segregation, or the jail cell. Consumers of these racist ideas have been led to believe that there is something wrong with black people and not the policies that have enslaved, oppressed, and confined so many black people. End of quote. And going back to that uh, op-ed piece from the Washington Post written by Condoleezza Rice, she puts it this way. Our country has a birth defect. Africans and Europeans came to this country together, but one group was in chains. End of quote. As Christians, we believe the heart of the problem of racism and human exploitation is not philosophical or political or sociological. These are just symptoms and not the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is theological. The justification of the exploitation of human beings, the exploitation of men and women, is a contemptuous denial of one of the most basic biblical truths, that all humans are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I mean, you're not even 27 verses into the first chapter of the first book of the Bible before you read these words, that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. The most basic human truths are that humans are created by God. And the second truth is that they are created in the image of the God who created them. Racism and exploitation blossoms from the root that says not all humans are made in the image of God. What makes racism evil is the sinful belief that, that human beings, there are some human beings who are made in the image of God and there are other human beings who are not. And although the chains have been removed, the racist ideas, like all sin, have polluted human hearts all over the world. And this is why the church, our church must be the leader in confronting the problem of racism in our city of San Antonio, in our country, and throughout the world. Let me say it plainly. Racism is a sin. It denies the most basic fact about a human being that we are created, all mankind created in the image of God. And that sin is a force and power that the secular world continually underestimates. Just because we can make a better microwave or we can make a better, a better toaster does not mean that we can engineer a better human heart. But as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, we believe and we have experienced how the gospel changes everything. Through the gospel comes forgiveness and the transformation of the human heart and the mind. A couple of verses to, to, to remind us of this fact. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, the former way that you lived, to put off that old self. You no longer live that old life, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new. We are being made new through the gospel in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self. That new self is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We go again to another piece of writing, uh, this time to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
And then in that same letter, two two chapters later, chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ through the gospel, the new creation has come. Different, new, not the old. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In the few minutes that I have left, I want to suggest from the Old Testament prophet Micah a plan of action for every disciple of Jesus. Israel in Micah, during the time that Micah is prophesying and writing this book, Israel has spiritually gone off the rails. In the beginning of chapter 2, there is a description of people abusing other people in the area of economic resources. They're cheating people. They're, they're being dishonest. They are abusing other people in the area of economic resources. Then in chapter 3, there is an extremely graphic description of people being physically abused by other people. In other words, people are treating other people as just pieces of meat. And then in chapter 4, there is a prophecy, a prophecy that one day the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established higher than any other mountain and the peoples of the world will stream into it. It will be unmistakable. You just don't accidentally run into a mountain. It's obvious. And out of all of the mountains of the world, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be the highest and swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears will be turned into pruning hooks. And then in chapter 5, there is the hint of the Messiah. And then in chapter 6, the very last chapter of the book, God takes his people to court. He, they are now on trial. And God begins to ask what in the world he had done that would cause them to walk away from them. And he begins to list all of the ways that he has blessed them. And at the end of, of, of God speaking, Israel turns to God and asks, what do you want from us? And they begin to, to sort of throw out there these really ridiculous things that, that God wouldn't want. You know, you want a thousand rams. Do you want 10,000 rivers of oil? Do you want us to give up our firstborn? And God says, you already know the answer to that question because I've already told you. And then we have the, the famous words of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you in this context, in this world that has become corrupt, in this nation which has all of its problems? This is what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In response to the cultural mess of Israel, God says three things. First, do justice. Justice is one of those weird words in our culture right now. In fact, it's a bit of a polarizing word these days, but let's never forget that justice is God's word. My Old Testament professor, uh, Dr. Gary Smith, wrote in his commentary on Micah that to do justice is to treat people the way that God would treat them if he was right there in your place. And then not only do you do justice, but you love mercy. That word mercy is a hard word to translate. It's actually the word chesed. It is a word that describes the loyalty and the commitment of God to always do what is best for human beings. And so all of the ways that you can think of in the Bible where God brings love and he brings help and he brings provision and protection and aid and he brings blessing to people who are in trouble, all of this is a model for the way that we, we treat other people. And mercy is just one of those emotions, one of those parts of the human that says, I'm going to go where people are hurting. And then he says, do justice, love mercy, and then walk humbly with God. 
Think about what it meant to walk with somebody in the ancient Mediterranean world. To walk with someone or, you know, to, to walk with someone anywhere was a sign of solidarity. It was a sign of agreement about life and how life was to be lived and of the values of that life. And so to walk in humility with God is to put your will, your desires in the secondary position behind God's will, which will always be primary. It is to say, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you do justice, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with God. These things sound so simple, but they are profoundly difficult because there's more to just doing them. They are ways of living that reflect the character of God being formed and and being shaped in your own heart. You can't do justice unless you are a just person in your character. You can't love mercy unless God's love and mercy is transforming you on a daily basis. You can't walk humbly with God unless you have made the decision to walk with God each and every day of your life and that he is in charge. So let me give you in uh, in conclusion just a couple of practical things in order to start developing this do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God as a way of life. Let's begin with this. Begin to pray like Jesus. Pray like Jesus. Begin increasing your daily time in prayer. Memorize the prayers of Jesus. Memorize the model prayer, the Lord's prayer. Start including the things that Jesus prayed about in your prayers. Pray for San Antonio the way that Jesus prayed for Jerusalem. Pray for the kingdom of God to to come to bear in the lives of people. And then secondly, not only start praying like Jesus, but learn to listen to people. Learn to listen to people. Most of us talk more about people than we listen to them. We just spent a month talking about the importance when it comes to communicating and and connecting with people to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. There is nothing that expresses care and concern and creates connection more than listening to another person. There's just this incredible connection that takes place. There's, there's, there's a fellowship and a cohesion that develops. Uh, listening to hurt people, listening to fearful people, listening to people who are frustrated, there is nothing that breaks through like listening and listening well to another human being. And then finally, just make a difference. Just start making a difference. As a kingdom of God person, you take the kingdom of God wherever you go. And the kingdom of God always changes people. For example, we know that poor reading skills are connected to unfavorable life outcomes. I mean, that we just know this to be true. So one of the ways that you can make a difference is to get involved at Oak Grove and, and help these little kids learn how to read well in order to set them up for a more favorable uh, future in their life. Or if it's not Oak Grove, maybe, maybe there's an elementary school somewhere near where you live. Contact them and, and get involved somehow in teaching these little, these little kiddos how to read. It will make such a difference. Get involved in some kind of a care ministry. Get involved in some kind of a ministry that makes a difference. Well, there, there is so much more we need to say, and there is so much more that we're going to say. But I want to leave you with this last thought, and it's this. The good news is that racism can be overcome when the gospel of Jesus enters the heart of men and women. 
The good news is that racism can be overcome. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick because we're not just dealing with the surface. We are getting down to the root. Racism, the root of racism can be extracted. It can be diminished. It can can be uh, uh, eradicated. It can be overcome when the gospel of Jesus enters the heart of men and women. As the church of Jesus, we are a light in darkness. As the church of Jesus, we are a song of hope in the night. And as the church of Jesus, we are the look of love in the face of hate. Let's pray. Father, as we move forward into the world, the world is thus and thus have we made it. But as we move into the world, we are new creatures. We are not only made in your image, but you have made us new in Christ. We have a new mind and a new heart, and we have a new vision for life. And we pray, Father, to be that light and to be that hope and to be those those communicators of the gospel that just changes everything. And we pray, Father, that you bless us as we endeavor to do this in this city. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's make a difference.